Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. Regular listeners to the program know that these Ministry Watch Extra episodes are a chance for us to go deep with some of our editorial partners. But a couple of weeks ago, we started a three-part series in which I was the guest with Dan Burrell as my interviewer. We play part three of that conversation today. Dan Burrell is a teaching pastor at Life Fellowship in suburban Charlotte, and he had me on his podcast called Life Talks. We recorded three 20-minute episodes discussing Ministry Watch, our work, why we do what we do, and some of our recent stories. The conversation turned out so well that I asked Dan if I could air them here on the Ministry Watch podcast. Dan graciously gave us permission to do so. We aired the first two episodes in previous weeks, and today, as I said, we do part three, the final part of that conversation. So without further introduction, here's the third and final episode of my three-part talk with Dan Burrell. I hope these interviews give you a better idea of who we are and what we do here at Ministry Watch. Sometimes I can be a little sneaky, and I've done something sneaky today. I've talked my friend Warren Cole Smith into staying for one more episode of Life Talks so we can continue our conversation on just biblical worldview, Christian thinking, the evangelical church in America, and our time and point in history. William Cole Smith is a journalist. He's an author. He's a thinker. He is head of ministrywatch.com, which is a a kind of an accountability organization that keeps an eye on uh, faith-based organizations, and he's my good friend. I'm so glad to have you back with us again, Warren. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Dan. It's an honor. So previously, we've we've kind of we've talked about a lot of things, and that's that's the fun thing about talking about you, man. We hit every topic under the sun in, in, in quick order, but I want to kind of go back to the role of the American evangelical church today. As as you put it, we're in a state of disrepair, and so I guess my question is how do we how do we begin fixing that? You're you're a leader in your local church. I'm a leader in my local church. Um, there, you know, there's a limit to what we can can do, but uh, you you have a pretty big megaphone at times. What what would you say to the church at large? What can we do in these times? Well, I think one of the things, uh, Dan, that we can do is is um, you've already alluded to. We need to get involved in our local church. Um, the Bible the Bible doesn't say that the gates of hell will not prevail against America. The Bible doesn't say the gates of hell will not prevail against um, the Boy Scouts of America Mm. or whatever. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church is the body of Christ. It It is God's way of fixing the world, if I could put it that way, that uh, we have been called to a ministry of reconciliation, of restoration, and uh, I believe that it is through the church that that primarily happens. And you know what? Uh, That means that if you're a member of the body of Christ, if you're a believer, then that ministry is not only open to you and available to you, it's your duty and your responsibility. So I'm a big fan, I don't know if that's the right word, but I'm a big proponent and advocate of the local church, of getting involved in the local church. I believe that that is where uh, most of the great work in America 
uh, has been done, has mm. been done through the either directly through the local church or through those organizations and institutions that and movements that the church has spawned. All right, so let's do something fun. Uh, we've all heard of SWOT analysis. It's a SWOT is S W O T: strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Let's let's do a SWOT analysis of the evangelical church in America today. What are some of the strengths that 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 exist? Because we tend to, I'm, I'm I'm kind of a critic, so I'm always looking at the negatives. But there are some positive things. What are some of the strengths? Well, absolutely, there are positive things. Number one is that we have the greatest story ever told on our side. You know, we we hear a lot today that 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 it's who controls the narrative that is going to win the arguments in the public square. Well, guess who's got the best story? Guess who's got the best narrative? Christians do. We've got this amazing, hopeful, true story. Mm. And so we've got that going for us. We've got the Holy Spirit going for us. Mm. I mean, you know, that 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 Jesus went away so he could send the Spirit. We, you know, we have the Holy Spirit and uh we have the promises of God's word, one of which I've already mentioned, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Uh we also have this amazing legacy, especially in this country of the church. Alexis de Tocqueville visited America, the French, the French um, um philosopher visited America and the uh, early mid-1800s, wrote the book Democracy in America, and he said, and I'm going to paraphrase, I'm going to put this in 21st century language, that America is great, not because it's great at the top in places like Washington or Mm -hmm. New York or Los Angeles, the great culture-shaping institutions, or not because it's great at the bottom, the rugged individualists, which has become a part of the American myth. But he said, that's not what makes America great. America's great because it's great in the middle, Mm -hmm. because it's got its, its family units, it's got churches. It's got organizations. He called Americans a nation of joiners. We solve problems through these institutions. That is an amazing legacy that really, I believe, depends upon the cornerstone of the church. And so those are just a few of the amazing strengths that I think that the evangelical church has. I I love the fact that the first three that you mentioned out of the four that that you did mention have to do with the spiritual values. I think so many times in American Christianity, we talk about our resources like it's all about us. You know, we're rich. We've got missionaries around the world. We've got publication arms. We've got media. We've got all these things. None of those matter if we compromise the message. Amen. And so that that's a great way to start with our strengths. The, the, the W in SWAT stands for weaknesses. What are some intrinsic weaknesses of the evangelical church in America today? Well, you know, it's interesting to me, Dan, that in Scripture, the Bible talks a lot about remembering remembering. Remember what God has done for you. We see it throughout the Old Testament. We see it in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter, is a remembrance of what God has done. I think one of the weaknesses of the church today, and it's also probably a weakness of the culture that we have taken on, is that we have short memories. We don't remember. We have forgotten what God has done for us. We have forgotten the strengths that we mentioned. Um, And as a consequence of that, we often live in fear. We live in reaction to what's going on in the culture. Uh, the you know again, it's probably no coincidence that one of the I, I have heard I've not done this Bible study myself that the that the most frequent commandment of Scripture is fear not, do not be afraid. And I think unfortunately, one of the weaknesses of the church is that we've become afraid. We've become afraid of 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 the world, of the culture. We've forgotten that the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. We've forgotten the story that God has given us in. 
in Scripture, which is the greatest story ever told. And we have forgotten all of these strengths and, and benefits that we have of being the church, and it has what I sometimes say, it's faked us out of position. Because we have forgotten, we start behaving in ways that only fearful people would behave. Mm. Do you do you sense anything going on in the church recently? You know, because we, we've just gone through these unusual times, whether we're talking COVID or the civil unrest or the political controversies that we've got. Are we floundering right now? I mean, do we have any clarion voices that are calling us to remember the important things or are we just are we kind of just a mess right now? Well, we're kind of a mess right now. I you know, I um in a, in every every somebody else's list might look different than my list, and I'll mm-hmm. admit that. But, you know, I um um am am fond of people like Ross Douthat, for example, who wrote a book called Bad Religion a few years ago. Uh, don't agree with everything about Ross uh, in in his theology, but I but I do, you know, Sort of welcome and recognize his voice. There's a man named Charles Taylor who wrote a book called The Secular Age, and I believe that that is a very powerful diagnosis of what's going uh, on in our world today. Um, so, uh, yeah, I do believe that there are clar- some clarion voices out there, um, but I'd, and, but I'd also think that um, unfortunately, the sort of the the biggest problem that we have is that in some ways we have lost the ability. Uh, to even hear those voices. Our hearing has gone bad. Our ability, like Charles Taylor's book, Secular, A Secular Age, is uh, a difficult book. And there are, there's probably not one Christian in a hundred that could read that book and really kind of process it. And I'm not trying to be intellectual or elitist about that. I'm just simply saying that, that it took us a hundred years or more to get into the condition of disrepair that we're in right now. And it will likely take us multiple generations to get out of it. And we've got to not only sort of rebuild the walls, but we've got to rebuild the arms that are going to rebuild the walls, if mm. that makes sense. Absolutely. And um, and I think that to, to a certain extent, because we have been weaned now for almost a full generation on these iPhones, our attention span has gone short. We don't engage big ideas anymore. We can't, when we encounter a big idea, we give up on the big idea before we fully understand it. And um, I think that that has worked to weaken the church and weaken our culture as a whole. All right. So the letter O in SWAT stands for opportunities. You know, I, I, one of my favorite illustrations is the is the uh, the guy, the two guys that go to Africa to uh, uh, sell shoes, and one of them, you know, goes to uh, the nearest payphone and calls his home office and says, uh, "Take me home. Nobody here wears shoes. This is the biggest waste of time ever." The other guy saying, "Hurry up, get off the phone." He wants to call his office, and he does, and he calls him, and he says, "Send me more shoes. Nobody here wears shoes." So, in the midst of all of these opportunities we've got going right now what are the opposition rather we've got going and the discouragement there are opportunities what do you see as some of those well I think that's right I mean the reason we live just to sort of traffic a little bit maybe extend your metaphor a little bit about the shoes I would say um, you know look at it in terms of light the the reason we live in an age of darkness is not because of the darkness it's because of a lack of light light, right? Mm. So, and, and the other thing too is that, and I don't know whether you've been in a situation like this, Dan, but if you're on a really
really, really dark night and someone lights even a very small, strikes a match Mm -hmm. 100 yards away, Mm. you're going to see it. Mm. Um, it, And so I think that's the opportunity for Christians. We have an opportunity to be light in a very dark culture. The uh, the bad news is it's a very dark culture. The good news is, is that if you can light that candle, if you can strike that match, if you can, you know, set off your, turn on your flashlight, you're going to be seen. You're going to be noticed. Uh, it's uh, because, because that's sort of how dark the ages become. I think part of the problem that we have here, and again, I don't want to keep dwelling on the weaknesses and the, because you know we're now moving into the opportunities, is that I think, again, that forgetfulness has come. We have, we have forgotten you know, how to strike the match, how to light the candle, that we, we, we chase fads rather than stick to the, you know, the old paths, you might Mm -hmm. say, as, as the Old Testament says. And, um, so we, we, um, we would rather, um, sort of, you know, sort of shadow box the darkness rather than just light a match and throw a light onto that area right around us. So it's a, uh, that's the opportunity, but it's going to be a hard opportunity for us to seize, given how much we have forgotten and how much we've lost. Yeah. Do you see the church as the the sole uh, uh, source of, of this? Or, uh, you know, historically, we've had some great educational institutions. We've had great thinkers, great authors, even think tanks, you know, like uh, Francis Schaeffer had and, and others. We just don't hear from those. There, there just seems to be so much conflict. Is there a chance for a resurgence of that? Well, I do think that there is a chance. And I would say, you know, even some of the things that you've mentioned, like Le- Francis Schaeffer's Labrie and some of the great Christian colleges, uh, for example, in this country, the wellspring of all of that is the church. And so I, I do kind of keep coming back to this idea of, a, of you know, even, even an individual Christian who might not have the calling, the giftedness to go lead an institution. They can get involved in their local church, and they can they can help um, preserve and expand the sort of this foundation from which these other institutions that you're talking about uh, can and I believe will grow if we are faithful uh, at the local church level. But yeah, I, I agree that um, that that we do not see. Um, at least from it does, it's not as obvious to us. I mean, we look at something something like Labrie, for example, or and it's um, it's it's kind of one of those moments in the past that we mm-hmm. some of us in the Christian world look back to. But but you know, I look around and I see um, I know uh, Andrew Peterson um, in Nashville, Tennessee, has formed this organization called the Rabbit Room, uh, mm-hmm. which is uh, so supporting Christians that are involved uh, in the arts. And uh, uh, you know, there are other institutions and organizations that I. Would will run into from time to time. Uh, they, they, uh, there's a, a, a Christian couple, I know they're in the real estate business. They live in Opelika, Alabama, hmm. which is an old mill town that had gone to seed. They have been responsible for a complete resurgence of that town. That town is now regularly listed as one of the great small towns in America to live in, partly because this one couple uh, ended up um, either rebuilding or building over 100 buildings in about a two-square-mile area in downtown Opelika. They didn't do it by themselves, but they did it motivated by their Christian faith and the belief that God had called them to that place. God didn't say, you know, we should go off to Washington or New York. So we're going to start making a difference right here in Opelika. And one of the things that has happened is that people from other towns 
have come to OpenLock and see what they're doing, and they're taking that that, that wisdom, that learning, those activities back to their town. So, yeah, I'm I see signs, I see evidence of a resurgence, and I'm excited by it. All right, the final letter in our SWOT analysis is threats, and usually you categorize threats categorize threats in in two categories: internal and external. Mm-hmm. So, what do you see as some of the internal and some of the external threats to to our effectiveness as a church moving forward? Well, I think there are both. I think there are. There's no question there external threats. I, you know, it's a spiritual battle. Satan is real. Um, there are forces that do not want the church to thrive, that do not want Christians to thrive. So uh, I, I'm not trying to, to diminish those in any way, shape, or form. But I also know who's already won that fight, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm going to sort of table that conversation for just a minute, because I'm guessing that many of your listeners could probably come up with their own list in that category. I think the biggest threats or the ones that I'm more concerned about are the internal threats. Um, the threats from Christians who don't remember, that don't understand uh, who we are in Christ, our identity uh, in Christ, and what God has called us to, that we are called to a ministry of reconciliation. We have been reconciled to Christ so that we can be reconcilers in this culture. I believe that uh, sentimentality and nostalgia are big dangers of the church, that that we look either back or forward. You know, we might look forward to, you know, the rapture, or Mm -hmm. we might look back to some mythical, you know, age when America was great. And we want, uh, I think that kind of nostalgia uh, is uh, an axe to the root of the gospel, Mm. uh, which tells us that this God in his sovereignty placed us here now for this time, for such a time as this. And um, so I think those are those are really big threats. I think another th- threat that we have is that we've got to, I think we've, and this sounds so trite, Dan, whenever I say it out loud, because it's like, well, of course Christians care about the truth, mm. right? But I think that we don't care about the truth as much as we should, yeah. that we are willing to embrace all manner of conspiracy theory or falsehood or the latest thing that we saw on social media without any kind of natural skepticism about those conspiracy theories that we're hearing, without testing them even against Scripture. Mm. And um, I think that that is a huge, huge danger that faces the church today. Our credibility has been eroded because the culture no longer depends upon us to tell the truth. Now, in the past, they might not have liked what we said to them, Mm. but they could trust it. Mm-hmm. Now they don't even trust it. Absolutely. You know, and 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 so much of this falls as part of the responsibility of leadership. You know, we bought into this Western mentality of success, I think, a lot of times that big is good. And, and you know, we, the, the joke even in, I mean, I teach a class at Liberty University, and one of the things I, I say about uh, church growth is we measured on butts and bucks. You know, how many people attended right. and how much money came in the offering plate. Um, we, we, we worship celebrity even in the Christian culture. Culture, whether it is the latest influencer on social media or or or, or whatever, um, but in order for there to be these kind of celebrities, there have to be celebrity pursuers and followers. We put these people on on pedestals. Is there any remedy for that in this social media driven age where where it seems like we have so adopted Americanism in in our matrix our, our matrices of, of 
of what is a success in a church uh, or a religious organization, uh, it, it, sometimes it causes a lot of frustration. Well, it does. And, you know, I, I again, Dan, I hate to resort to cliches or mm. resort to things that sound trivial, but I want to be clear. I don't think they're trivial. And cliches sometimes become cliches because they're true, right? And, uh, and I think a part of the answer, first of all, I think your diagnosis is absolutely accurate that we have become too much of a celebrity-driven culture. I think uh, that the answer to that is again to resort to some of the things that we've already talked about. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors as yourself. If we do those things, the idea of some sort of a celebrity or some or, or narcissism looking at ourselves first mm. fade away. You know the um, the Westminster Catechism. I don't know uh, if mm. many of our listeners will be familiar with that, but the Westminster Catechism is a series of questions and answers. I don't know the whole catechism, not by a mm. long shot, but I know the first question: What is the chief end of man? Mm. And the answer is the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Mm. And I think that if we have a sense of ourselves um, as instruments for God's glory and not a celebrity's glory, not a pastor's glory, and certainly not for our own glory, and we understand that this is a long game when we enjoy God forever, that that the our goals change. They don't become short-term temporal political success or financial success or bucks and butts and chairs, right? We stop measuring success that way. We start measuring success by measures like, does it bring glory to God? Mm. Is it a way that I can love my neighbor? Man. I'm telling you what, I always enjoy my conversations with you, Warren. Thank you so much for joining us on these episodes of Life Talks. If you're a listener today, would you go ahead and share some of these uh, these podcasts with others that you think may need their thinking challenged and and just to get another perspective? I hope you'll follow Warren in his, when his revised book comes out or just Google his name and you'll see several of those come up on, on Amazon and other uh, outlets for good reading. And uh, visit uh, the website of the organization that he uh, uh, leads, which is uh, ministrywatch.com. That brings to a close this episode of the Ministry Watch Extra podcast. For those of you who are regular listeners to the podcast, I hope today's program gives you a bit of a peek behind the curtain so you can see how and why we do what we do. To find out more about Ministry Watch, go to ministrywatch.com and hit the About Us tab at the top of the page. We've recently added some new material there, including our latest financial statements and our statement of faith. A couple of quick housekeeping items before we go. First, Ministry Watch is donor-supported. If you'd like to pitch in to make sure that Ministry Watch remains a viable endeavor, you can go to ministrywatch.com and hit the Donate button at the top of the page. And if you give a gift of any size during the month of April, we'll send you a copy of a book I co-wrote with Marvin Olasky called Prodigal Press, Confronting the Anti-Christian Bias of the American News Media. And if even a few bucks may be too much for you right now, hey, I get it. I've been there too. But there's something easy and free you can do to help us, and that's to rate us on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the easier it is for others to find us on the search engines. So it's a great way for you to help us out, and it only takes a few seconds. And by the way, though I can't respond to every comment on the podcast app, I do read them all. And they're both encouraging and helpful. So thanks very much.
The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. We get database technical and editorial support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Christina Darnell, and Casey Suddeth. I'd also like to acknowledge the producer of Dan Burrell's program, Britt Nipper, who provided invaluable assistance with this three-part series. So thanks, Britt. We appreciate it very much. I'm Warren Smith, and you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. Thank you.